Holy Spirit, thank You for being able to be in Your midst, for doing community life together, for the way You shower Your goodness upon us, Your blessings upon us. We want to meet with You this morning. We want to get your perspective on our situation, on our lives, our circumstances, our relationships, ourselves. We want your perspective on all of that. Thank you for how fun it's been to talk about you and to experience you over the last, well, I guess last three years and some change together, but particularly over the last few weeks. Continue to shock us, surprise us, and and love on us today. Amen. I'm Chris. I know we have some visitors here, so nice to meet you. Welcome. Last Sunday we had a very, uh, a very different flow to our time together, and it felt like the Holy Spirit was meeting with us and doing something a little different. And the, in some circles, the Holy Spirit has a reputation of, of either always doing that or only enjoying when that happens, if that makes sense. We have like the normal flow of Sunday mornings. It's like, oh, we, we did our thing that Sunday. And then sometime when the flow gets thrown off, we say, oh, the Holy Spirit really showed up. Now, I don't know if you say that, but I've heard that, and I, the, I've, I've seen that kind of since before, but I just wanted to clarify that the Holy Spirit is always with us, and the Holy Spirit delights just as much in our normal flow and structure and sequence of things as when that all gets turned on its head, but sometimes the Holy Spirit wants to kind of subvert our normal agendas to just say something a little different and come in from a different angle. And it's fun when that happens, but it doesn't have to happen. So thanks for those of you that were with us last Sunday for rolling with that and working with that and not running out. We've been talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit as person. The Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity that, at least in my experience, gets either ignored and shoved off into a corner, or sometimes chased after, but not for the Holy Spirit self, but rather as desire or chasing after the gifts or what the Holy Spirit brings to us. And we're trying to say, what would it look like to meet with the Holy Spirit as person? We talked a little bit last week about the Holy Spirit loving creativity, but also order and structure and bringing order and structure and flow and organization out of chaos. And I know some of you feel like you could use a little more order and structure and less chaos in your lives. Some of you could use a little bit more chaos because things are getting a little mundane and boring, but the Holy Spirit is in all of that. This week, I wanted to talk about what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of things that from face value 
look like they're untouchable in terms of what God likes to work with or wants to do. Um, before I get into that, I forgot to give you an update. So we, yeah, I wanted to say this before I get it too far into my talk. Um, we told you we'd put an offer on a house, and no. Well, we had put an offer on a house. With my parents' help. And it was a wonderful place, and our offer was second. So there was someone's offer they accepted ahead of ours. And we thought that this place was perfect, it was ideal, it was kind of, you know, the cream of the crop, and we didn't get it. And people came to me and said, well, just think about what happened with the church office. You had a place in mind, and then something better opened up. And we were like, yeah, but you don't understand. There is no better with this one. I stand corrected. <laughs> so in a nutshell, uh, my family was here for two and a half days, and on Monday we went and looked at six different houses. My parents are aware that me and my family, we could use a little more space. If you've been to our house, you know that. If you haven't been to our house, well, that's why. It's probably because <laughs> we... we uh, don't have room, really, for hosting and things like that. So we need more space. We looked at six houses on Monday, and none of them really were ones that we were interested in. So Tuesday morning, I get a text from our realtor saying, hey, this house just went on the market, and I looked at the address. It was four houses down from where we're currently living. And to make a long story short, we put a bid in on it before they even, ever even put the sign out front. We were the only people to bid. We were actually the only people to look at it. They accepted our bid, and if everything goes according to plan, we close on August 30th. So those of you that told me that there's something better coming, you were right. <laughs> and hey, even if this doesn't work out, because obviously it's not all signed, sealed, delivered. Even if this doesn't work out, I'm learning by now that that's okay. It's like, all right, let's just see how far up the scale we can go, right? So just want to give you that personal update. But it, it also relates to how God works, I think. Because we often look at a situation that is at worst despairing and at best discouraging or maybe a little depressing or just not ideal and we're like, God, what are you going to do out of this? What are you going to do with this? We have to move our whole business down the street, and we have to have it in storage for a couple months. Dude, I'm sure that has not been fun. And I'm thinking, all right, Holy Spirit, what are you going to bring out of that? Holy Spirit, what are you up to? The secret life of the Holy Spirit. I have an interesting passage. I have four different Sunday sermons in my head right now. I'm not going to give you all of them. Hopefully I will give you one of them, not pieces of all four. If I do that, forgive me, but the passage that I want us to look at is something that we don't often associate with the Holy Spirit, at least for me, and it's in Luke chapter 4. Will you go there to that first slide, Taylor? So look at this, the temptation of Jesus. We're going to take a few minutes and look at the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Have you noticed this? 
It says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. This is just after his baptism. This magnificent setting and scene of Jesus coming up out of the Jordan and the Holy Spirit appearing over him like a dove. And the Father speaking throughout the region, saying, this is my beloved Son. I am deeply delighted in Him. I am pleased with Him. Jesus has this encounter with His Father and the Holy Spirit. And look at the next thing that happens. Let's throw you onto the wilderness. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That word led seems kind of gentle, doesn't it? It's like, oh, let's just, let me just lead you. Like I lead Nathan out the door. I don't actually have to lead Nathan out the door. He leads me out the door when he wants to go outside. But lead is a very gentle word, isn't it? It's like, oh, let's just gently kind of move along. The Greek word used here is the same word as when Jesus casts out demons. And when Jesus says, pray that missionaries, that, that workers will be sent out to the harvest, it's a picture of a cork on a champagne bottle getting popped and sent across the room. There's this thrust, this power, and this, this urgency. It's like the Holy Spirit took Jesus and threw him into the wilderness. It's kind of the picture that it's giving us. Have you thought about why the Holy Spirit would do this? Some of us might equate this with Abraham and Isaac. Thinking, oh, well, you know, God needed to test Abraham to see if Abraham had enough faith to be trusted with God's blessings and responsibility. Jesus needed to be tested in the same way to see if he really had what it takes. I don't know, what do you guys think? Why why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? No, why would the Holy Spirit thrust violently Jesus, isn't that interesting juxtaposition as well? The Holy Spirit in one moment comes down like a dove. And the next minute you have like this dove with talons carrying Jesus into the wilderness. You can't really nail the Holy Spirit down, can you? So this little dove, the Holy Spirit thrusts Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. I don't totally know. But let's look at the story real quick and then I'll tell you a few things that stick out to me. It says that Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Anybody else want to sign up for that? Bring it on. He ate nothing at all during those days. This is kind of cool, actually, in, in Mark's version of this story. It says that the, he was with the wild animals, and with kind of has this picture of him sitting with the animals where they're subdued and submitted to him. It's kind of this picture of back in the Garden of Eden where the animals are subjected to their human authority. Luke doesn't tell us that little side, but Mark does. I think that's pretty awesome. He ate nothing at all during those days. How many of you feel like you're really good at resisting temptation when your blood sugar is low? How many of you feel like you're a better person when your blood sugar is low? Yeah. 
So Jesus hasn't eaten anything. And it says, when they were over the 40 days, he was famished. I think that's an understatement. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, what is the devil making a full frontal assault on? Jesus' identity. Satan is affronting and confronting Jesus' sense of identity. If you are the Son of God. And two of the temptations begin with that statement. The first one, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. This is how I interpret that. And let me ask you if you've heard this line, this question, this challenge posed to your mind and heart lately. If you really are blank, then prove yourself. Why don't you prove it? That you're enough. That you have what it takes. That you are who you say you are. Have you had that whispered to you lately? Have you felt this sense of having to... How many of you carry with you on some level the sense of needing to prove yourself in some arena? Maybe even on a daily basis. Satan comes in to Jesus and says, hey, if you really are who you say you are, then prove it. Now could Jesus have taken the stone and made it into a loaf of bread? Could he have proved himself in that way? Yeah. But what does he do? He says, you know what? I'm not going to play by your rules. He says, let me go back to who my father is and what my father says. It is written, one does not live by bread alone. Taylor, next one. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So first he's presented with the challenge to prove himself. And next he's presented with the challenge to basically take everything into his own hands. His identity, his worth, his sense of value, his sense of success. The enemy says, hey, take all of this into your own hands. Why not? It's there for the taking. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Next one, Taylor. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, again, if you are the Son of God, prove yourself to me, to the world. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. That's kind of nice to know, right? The devil's like, All right, we'll make another appointment soon. Sweet. Can't wait. I'll set a notification on my phone for that. What is going on here and why on earth would the Holy Spirit thrust Jesus into this situation? How many of you can relate? Now, have any of you ever experienced this? Where for 40 days you've been out fasting in the wilderness 
hanging out with wild animals while Satan himself appears to you and says, Talia, if you really are, prove it. None of us have experienced this in this way, of course, and I don't think that any of us will. But don't we experience elements of this every single day? Let me ask you real quick, what are some of the arenas in which or some of the ways you have that question nagging at you, prove yourself? Where, where does that come up? What, what domain of your life or what, what aspect of your existence does that question arise? Anybody want to share with us? Where do you feel you have to prove yourself? Talia, with your family, like that you're enough, that you're going to be successful. in your family. Yeah. Who else? Where does... Yeah, Joseph. Hmm. Being an effective father. Prove yourself that you're a good enough dad. Anyone else? No? Good. Only two people. Whew! Okay. This is one of those messages that you hope only lands with like two people. All right, Torah, Victoria, prove yourself. Are you Torah or Victoria? Just kidding. Um, in, friendship. in friendship, prove yourself. Are you a faithful enough friend? Are you loyal? Yeah, are you for me? Can you take criticism? Work, yeah. prove yourself that you're worth this paycheck. Or this not paycheck. All right, last one, Carrie. Hmm. Yeah. Prove your identity that you're a teacher. Yeah. Even though you have no real expression to do that. Have fun with that, huh? Okay. No, nobody ever says that. <laughs> Come on, Betty. Where would <laughs> prove yourself that you prove yourself that you are worth being a pastor? That's a fun one. Can you imagine? The thing that really stinks about driving the adorable little car I have here. Well, actually, this. So the last few days we've been driving around and we've noticed another yellow Mini Cooper in Morro Bay. Now. There's two ways I could look at this. At first, Sarah was like, wait a minute, no, they can't have a yellow Mini Cooper. That's our car. And then I thought, wait a minute, that could be really good. Now, if they're a really bad driver, th there's a few different ways this could go. If they're a bad driver, this could give me an excuse to drive like the way I feel like driving sometimes. But if they're a good driver, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how that all works. But anyway, so I finally, I'm thinking like, so I'm driving this yellow Mini Cooper, and I get a little instance of road rage that just kind of comes out. Everybody's going to know that that's me. Well, not anymore. I'd be like, no, it was that other dude. So I'm going to take all identifiers off of my vehicle. <laughs> take any stickers off. Myself. But prove yourself that you are worth this or that. What's the point I'm trying to make? And then I'll get into what, uh, just a few things where I see this. Because I've been seeing this all over the place. I believe that what the Holy Spirit is doing in Jesus' life is putting him in the most intense situation 
not so that he will be challenged and tested, but so that his identity will be honed and forged and clarified so that he comes through the other side with such a sense of who he is that the world will never be the same. Can I say that one more time? I believe that the Holy Spirit is thrusting Jesus into the wilderness not to say, do you have what it takes, but to show Him that He does have what it takes. Because how else would He know? And as Jesus' eyes are enlightened, as His eyes are open to the reality of who He is experientially, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the world will literally never be the same. And that's exactly what happens. Look at what happens next. Then Jesus, after this encounter with Satan, after this forging and clarifying and galvanizing of His identity, He comes out of the wilderness with the power of the Spirit. And a report about Him spreads through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now there's so much happening there. It's absolutely insane. I mean, you could talk about how Jesus has proven Himself in the healthy way to say, look at when all of these people come to Me, I am going to show them My true source of life and vitality and love. He's not going to take the glory for Himself in that way. But when Jesus grabs a hold of His identity and the power of the Spirit, there is something let loose within Him that literally changes the world. What if it's the same for us? But instead of happening in kind of a sequential way, like, all right, here's your temptation time. Okay, now the rest of the time is just you go change the world. It happens more... What would be the opposite of sequential? <laughs> more staggered, more sporadic. It's, it's all integrated, right? Have you noticed this? That when you, this is my point that I'm trying to get to. There is nothing within our experience, our identity, our encounters, our relationships that the enemy can do to us that the Holy Spirit cannot take, flip on its head, and transform into something that can change the world. Jesus was faced with basically the pinnacle of temptation. And the Holy Spirit took that and said, yeah, watch this, I'm going to turn the world on its head. Have you seen that happen in your own life? Where you feel like just temptation is flooding you, where doubts are flooding you, where all you hear is, I'm not enough, I'm not this, I am not that. You are not this, you are not good enough, you are not worthy, you don't deserve this. You are not beautiful, you are not right. And then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of that. And you feel the same degree of power flowing out from you as you felt pressure coming upon you. Does that make any sense? Just last night, my wife, I wish she was here to tell the story, but Nathan has a fever, but Sarah was watching a 20-minute coaching video, and just this, this coach radically rocked this girl's world in a 20-minute session, and, and Sarah was, I guess, unpacking what she saw with me. She was saying, this is what I, what I noticed and, and what was going on. The next thing I know, Sarah begins to tell me all these different things that she has battled with. 
I am not this, I am not that, the different challenges she's faced, the things that cause her to self-sabotage, the things that hold her back from stepping forward into what she knows God is placing in front of her and inviting her into. And all of a sudden she gets up and she goes, I need to go write this down. So I noticed my cue and I took it and I said, all right boys, we're going to the park. So I took the boys out of the house for an hour and I come home I go in the bedroom, she's filled five pages of her journal. She's been weeping, and the Holy Spirit took this one little lie that she had been believing and basically downloaded five pages worth of truth on her in a way that she walked different after getting off the bed. She was like, why have I not seen this? This changes everything. And see, from a natural perspective, you could look at all the things that, that she was writing about and the things that were pushing her down, weighing her down, and you could be like, wow, how are you ever going to get over that? And the Holy Spirit says, oh, that's my specialty. I love to take the depths of our brokenness and turn them into absolute dynamic healing power for the people all around you. Once I started thinking about this, I, I saw it everywhere. You've seen the movie Megamind? Who's seen that movie? Megamind. Amazing example of redemption. If you haven't seen Megamind, watch, watch Megamind and just picture the Holy Spirit in the midst of everything going on there. Or not. That was my pastoral disclaimer. I was, so, Betty, can I put you on the spot? You love being put on the spot. It's, it, it's, it doesn't really, so, I've been to the Fry's home a couple times over the last week or so for various reasons, and um, one was to borrow Mike's truck, but, but I was walking through the Fry's home, and I'm noticing all these different doors and windows and all these things, and I was like, wow, I bet each one of these things has its own story, but the way it's all pieced together is absolutely masterful. For those of you who have been there, it's, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Betty, this is what I want to ask. Is there one of those pieces in your house that you could tell us quickly the story of? Because I know, like, so you have, I know you have windows and doors and gates and things from all over the place, but is there one that's just really particularly special to you? I, <laughs> I love it. No, that's, <laughs> were you, I wasn't asking you to prove yourself. No. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. But, but it's just beautiful because you walk through the Fry's home and you're like, oh, I bet that, like, that could have been found at a yard sale. But it's something that you find at a yard sale and you don't completely refinish it so that it's not recognizable as what it used to be, but it's still, it's, its natural beauty is taken and enhanced and brought out in a way that fits into the big picture of this beautiful tapestry. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit is doing with our lives. And sometimes we don't see it because sometimes we feel like our experiences are still sitting out in front of the yard sale, waiting for someone to grab them and redeem them. Or maybe we're like, no, that one's beyond God's reach. And God's like, no, you don't even know what I could do with that. Wait and see what I can do with that one right there. And we're like, oh, are you serious? Like, I was just going to pay somebody to take that off my hands. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point here. Let me show you what I can do with that. 
Can I tell you an embarrassing way that this really landed for me, this idea of the Holy Spirit as redeeming genius? So, some of you know that of my three boys, the one that that builds my character the most (laughs) is the one that's most like me, (laughs) of course, as it would be. Um, I won't say that he has curly red hair. And I won't say that he's the middle child because I would give away who it is. But let's just say that one of my boys, I find myself really needing more animating grace from the Holy Spirit to parent him with patience. So I was processing that predicament with um, a mentor of mine because I've realized that as I look back on my childhood, there were a lot of things that happened. I was like, man, I really could have done without that. I'm sure most of you could say the same. It's like, I, I really, I, I could have done without that baggage or without that wound or without this or without that. Um, quick side note, I work with StrengthsFinder. It's a tool that helps people identify their talent and figure out how to productively apply it. You know what I'm noticing the more I work with StrengthsFinder? Most of people's top strengths are actually rooted in some of their most wounding experiences from childhood. Most of people's top strengths are redeemed applications of their primary woundings from childhood. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I can work with that. And so this is, this is what I was processing with my mentor. I said, all right, here's the problem. I'm scared that I'm destroying my child. I just don't like the way I respond to him, the way I talk to him, the way I react when he makes me crazy. And he just said this. He's like, well, you can't do anything about the things you've already done. He's like, this is what I know. The Holy Spirit is a redeeming genius. And so every night when you lay him down to bed, you pray that all those things that you wish you wouldn't have done for him, the Holy Spirit would take those and turn them around and magnify them and enhance them as a gift to the world as he grows up. And I was like, really? (laughs) The Holy Spirit could do that? You ever read anything by uh, a guy named Robert Bly? I think he was maybe a Jungian psychologist, I'm not sure, but he writes on things like the shadow and stuff like that. But he, he once said this, he said, where a person's wound is, that's where their genius will be. Where a person's wound is, that's where their genius will be. So I've been going out of my way to um, truly really wound my kids lately. <laughs> really trying to let the Holy Spirit show her stuff. Um, no, that's obviously not the point. But, but it just took so much pressure off of me because the Holy Spirit's like, it's okay. All of this, I can work with that. I can work with it. All of that. And some of it we don't experience in the moment. Some of it we're waiting. The reason I had four messages in my mind is because I started reading Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. Don't do that. If, if you have anywhere to be within the next like four hours, don't start reading Ephesians 1 or Romans 8. Because it'll inspire you to where you want to leap out of your body. It'll inundate you with questions that don't necessarily have answers. But essentially... Ephesians 1 is about adoption and redemption and inheritance in this picture that God says, you're my kids, I'm going to show you and give you the Holy Spirit as a seal of that pledge, like the down payment 
that we had to make on this house, but it's more than that. It says, look at you belong to me, and it might not feel like it sometimes, but that will always be the case, and especially when it doesn't feel like it. I'm still working, and I'm taking you somewhere. And Romans 8 actually expands that out and says, not only is this the case for you as an individual, the whole entire world is waiting for the revealing of who you truly are. Go read Romans 8 sometime when you have about five hours. But this is the picture Romans 8 gives. It says that the whole entire created order is longing, groaning, like a woman in childbirth, waiting for the day of its redemption. And it says, waiting for the revealing of the sons, and that includes women, the sons and daughters of God. The world's redemption will come, according to Romans 8, when we finally get a hold of our identity. Isn't that what happened with Jesus? Jesus got a hold of his identity through the power of the Holy Spirit coming through temptation and out the other side. The world was never the same. And Romans 8 promises the Holy Spirit is coming into our hearts, giving us this cry of, Abba, Father, Daddy, I belong to you. And at the same time, it says that we cry out with groanings that can't even be expressed in words. It's like this, I know there's so much more for me, and I can't grab onto it, but I know it's there. We live in that tension, and the Holy Spirit says, I'm in the midst of all of that, and you have no idea the beauty I'm going to bring out of your deepest pain or your most frustrating moments, or the most potent attacks of the enemy, or the biggest obstacles you face. Maybe it's a relationship that you feel is crumbling, or a job situation that you see no end in sight, or maybe you just feel like things are kind of maintaining, and it's like, well, okay, this life is good, but it's not great, and there's nothing bad happening, there's nothing spectacular happening, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm still working, I'm still moving, and just wait and see what I do with all of because I'm a redeeming genius. I have this United voucher here. It's for $500 from a poor travel experience. They attempted to give this to me to compensate for my inconvenience. Um, The problem, I didn't pay attention to the expiration date. No, I'm just kidding. I'd be way bummed if that was the case. But it's interesting. You look at the word on here. It says, for redemption. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? For redemption. Log on. If you notice on iTunes. On iTunes, I send, if you get the email and you actually read it, if you're up as late as when I send this. Um, in the email, I sent a screenshot of an App Store link, and one of the very first button there, it says, Redeem. It's an interesting choice of words. And I was thinking, now, redemption, we know what that means in a Christian sense. We have this, you know, we have pictures of the Exodus and coming out of slavery and God making the children of Israel God's own and all these things, but, but what does this mean, to redeem that $500? Doesn't it essentially mean to unlock the full potential of what's included in this thing? to actually experience the full potential of what this offers? Potential for good, for benefit, for beauty? So, I wanted to ask you, I guess, just to think about, what is that thing? See, the Holy Spirit doesn't let 
those things expire. It might feel like it to us. Like, okay, Holy Spirit, you've missed your window to bring beauty out of this. And Holy Spirit's like, no, just wait. My timing is always perfect. So what's that thing for you? What's the thing in your life that you're looking at it and you're like, Holy Spirit, I don't know what you could do with this. I don't see you ever being able to bring beauty out of these ashes. I'm trying to remember how he said it. I like what... We, we sang that line. How was the line, Brie, in that song? It's, um, yeah, there's a part about beauty out of ashes based on Isaiah something, right? I'm putting you on the spot now, but um, Paul Young, he says that, um, no, I'm going to mess it up, so I won't go there, but basically, when things have been through fire, there's not much left to work with. Sometimes, some of you might feel like that. But God brings beauty out of ashes because that's all that's left once the fire has come through. And God says, I can still work with even that. So what is that thing for you that you're like, Holy Spirit, would you really come and show your redeeming genius in this realm? Maybe it's a loved one that's in a really rough situation. You're like, I talked to my brother again last night who's in prison. I don't know if I told any of you this, but he got charged with another felony while he's incarcerated. Which means that he's looking at, I don't know if you guys knew this, but so my brother was supposed to be out in April of next year, got charged with another felony, so now he's looking at either being released in October and then having to go back to prison or just having to stay longer. And so the question is, well, Holy Spirit, can you do something with that? I don't know yet. But I'm excited to find out. We have a few minutes left. I want to pray for us, but who has just a thought to to add to this or or a scripture? All right, I'm glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Will you just think for a minute what the thing is for you that you're like, Holy Spirit, I'm not sure if you could touch this. Even close your eyes if you need to, but Holy Spirit, I'm not so sure you could touch this experience. You can redeem this part of me. You could bring this wounding to good or this habit to good use. Bring that thing to mind for a minute. Will you do this while you're sitting? Just kind of picture it as something you could hold in your hands and and just kind of Offer it into the Holy Spirit's molding, sculptor-like hands. Say, Holy Spirit, I hand this over to you to bring beauty out of. What is that thing for you? And go ahead and just, just do that right now while we sit here for a minute. Maybe it's words of identity that someone has spoken over you that that really just chain you up. Again, maybe it's a relationship that you just don't see how God could breathe life back into. Maybe it's a piece of your identity that you're like, no, I, I don't know what to do with that, and I don't want that anymore. Holy Spirit, 
you do say that you make all things work together for our good. Now, there are people that try to interpret Scripture as if all things mean some things. But we're going to be literalists in this case. And we're going to trust that you literally can take all things and bring beauty out of them. Some of us need more patience than others. Some of us need more hope than others. But we trust you to speak and work and help us to almost, in a sense, yeah, move ourselves light years ahead to be able to look back and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. Help us to feel that feeling now and to have that assurance now that that day is coming. Especially for those of us that can't see it. I want to invite, we're going to have to go get the kiddos soon, but those of you that have something that you would, you'd like prayer, if what Mike shared resonated with you, and you have that thing that you're like, no, I really want to hold on to this, and the Holy Spirit's saying, will you let me take that? Would you go connect with, with Mike and um, anybody else that shared something? If it kind of, if you would like prayer along those lines, let's do this. We'll have people getting prayer kind of over towards this side of the room. I don't know if we have any snacks left. We don't for long, but we have about 10 minutes before we need to be out of here. So I just want to release everyone to, to get prayer, to connect, um, to snack up and, and recaffeinate. I thought I had an announcement, but it must not have been that important. Um, work on the office. I am trying. Oh, Torres reminding me. Um, yeah, we've been doing some work on the office, and if at some point you find yourself with some living room furniture or, you know, like really beautiful pieces of artwork that you paid thousands for that you're just sick of, um, or anything like that, would you let me know if there's anything you want to kind of leave your mark, make your mark on the Coastlands office through contributing a part of your life, would you let us know about that and we'll... We'll filter it through the design team and, yeah, kind of have little remnants of everybody there. But, yeah, we're doing some work on the office, the garden, and, and the inside. So um, I think that's it. But let's make sure to get prayer and coffee and things like that. And have a great afternoon and great week, actually. So that's all. Be blessed. <laughs>